Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Just very grateful to God for the one Spirit, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who now dwells in all believers everywhere. Um, thankful for the way that the Holy Spirit helps us to hear, believe, understand, and obey God's Word. Uh, you know, interesting too how last week, uh, the application of the Word, one of the things I suggested as an application was that as God brings people to your mind, that you would thank God for them, that you would pray for them, and maybe write to them in order to encourage them. Maybe some of you did that this past week. Uh, interestingly, I got an email on Thursday, and it wasn't somebody from our church seeking to apply the word and encourage their pastor. I got an email on Thursday from somebody that I haven't talked to for six years, and listen to what he said. Dear Pastor Jeremy, greetings. It's been a while since we communicated last. I still remember and cherish our time together with you and your beautiful family. How is everything with you? While, listen to this, while praying today, the Holy Spirit reminded me to pray for you. Just to update you, and then he gives me a little update about his life. Anyway, please greet your family and your church for me. God bless you, my brother in Christ, Sergeet. Some of you might remember six years ago, a man that uh, was the principal of the seminary that Mark and I went to teach at in India was with us in the United States. It was his first time being in the United States, I think, uh, I took him to Rock Run School and he ate spaghetti and he didn't like it at all. Um, I can't, like, I know, like, the Italian uh, food at Rock Run is good, but for some reason he didn't, he didn't like it. But grateful, uh, just, you know, so, so this is a guy on literally the other side of the world. The Holy Spirit brings somebody to his mind. He prays for that person and writes them a note. Uh, and so I uh, just love how God works through his word uh, in different people in different places around the world. Um, it is Father's Day. Many of us uh, had a father who we knew well. Others uh, had a father figure maybe in your life who cared for you. And a good father sometimes doesn't let us do what we really want to do, right? 28 years ago, I had just completed my eighth grade year and had committed myself to the summer season of high school marching band. So not yet a high schooler, but I could join the high school marching band. We did it early in the summer so that we could uh, practice and then go perform in parades all around and then sometimes get judged for that. Well, I committed to doing that, and one week in, as I anticipated that it would be a season filled with shame and suffering, I wanted to quit, and my parents wouldn't let me. More on that later. Many years earlier... A young pastor named Timothy was living in a scary time. He had made a commitment to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. And that commitment was about to bring him a great deal of shame and suffering. And his mentor and father figure in the faith, who had already endured much suffering of his own and was awaiting in prison his own execution, wrote to Timothy. And in this letter... His message was not this. His message was not, get out now while you still can. Abandon the ship. Save yourself from shame and suffering, Timothy. Get out now. That wasn't the message. 
No, his message was more like that of my parents. You can't quit. More specifically, suffering is coming. Don't be ashamed. Guard the gospel. And so today we're going to see what, why, and how as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. If you're able to, would you stand as we read the very word of God? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we need help. That same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who dwells in all who believe, uh, the same Spirit who, who inspired Paul to write every one of these words, now dwells in many of us, and we pray that that same Spirit would work through your Word now. Help me to say uh, what you desire to be said. I pray that the message of this text uh, would be the message of this sermon. I pray that the effect that you intend to have on us in this place on this day uh, would happen as a result of your Spirit's work now. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You can be seated. Sermon notes page is inside your bulletin. If that's helpful for you to follow along, you can go there, and there you would see first point of the two points of this message uh, is this, be unashamed and suffer for the gospel by the power of God. If you look at how this passage is put together, it's four commands all together in there. Two of them right away in verse 8, followed by the why and how. And then you get to verse 13 and 14, and you hear the other two commands, and you figure out the how as you walk through the rest of the verses. So that's how we'll walk through it as well. It's a passage that begins with this word, therefore, and so we wonder what that's there for, and so we remember that at the end of the passage last week, we saw that Timothy, who seemed to have this... uh, more fearful, anxious, timid kind of personality is encouraged by Paul that the Holy Spirit who dwells in him 
did not give him a spirit of fear, but instead one of power and of love and self-control, which were all going to be necessary if he was going to be a faithful minister of the gospel in these scary and getting scarier times. So that's where we left off. And therefore is the first word here, almost saying like, well, here's the next step. Here's how that's going to work. And here's where he starts not just encouraging Timothy, but exhorting or giving even commands to Timothy. And the first command is this, do not be ashamed. It's a command not to be ashamed. We need commands not to do something when we naturally want to do those things, right? So, so a command for a child might be, you cannot eat six cookies just before dinner. Why? Because a child who's hungry naturally would like to eat six cookies just before dinner, right? So the command is going against nature. And so Paul, writing to Timothy here, has to command him not to be ashamed because it would be very natural for Timothy to be ashamed. Well, ashamed of what? Well, that's what it says next. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. What's Timothy not to be ashamed of? He's not to be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, or uh, I think another way to say it would be the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? What's the message that Timothy is proclaiming? It's about a king who was executed on a cross as a criminal, who many say has been raised from the dead. This is a message that will not bring him honor and respect in his culture, but this is a message that will bring him naturally shame. And so Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Being associated with Paul is not going to bring Timothy respect in his culture either. So do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And then the second command is this, still in verse 8. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering is the command. Jesus suffered. Paul is suffering. And now Paul is telling Timothy, you're going to suffer. Share in suffering. Again, a command because it's not natural. Like if somebody wants to share their ice cream with me, I'm all in. If somebody on a hot day wants to share their pool with me, I'm jumping in, right? But this command is not as natural. He's saying to him, share in suffering, willingly. So why would Timothy do that? Why would Timothy not be ashamed of this message or ashamed of his association with Paul? Why would Timothy share in suffering willingly? Why? Well, look at what it says there in verse 8. Share in suffering for the gospel. This testimony, the gospel, this testimony about Jesus, the good news about his life, death, and resurrection, and the salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, this message, the gospel, is the reason that Timothy is called not to be ashamed and to share in suffering. 
well, how's he going to pull that off? Well, it says there at the end of verse 8, by the power of God. A recognition that Timothy, in his own power, if he's going to face what's ahead of him, he's going to tuck tail and run. Right? That, that, that's what would be most natural for Timothy. His personality and everything that's about to come down on Christians, it would be better for him, in one sense, to just deny it all, run away, and save himself. But he's called to not be ashamed and to share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God. Now, it seems like the aim of this passage is really to get these things across to Timothy, to encourage and command him to stick with it, not to quit, to not be ashamed, to share in suffering. But now that he's mentioned the power of God and the gospel, it's like Paul can't even help it. I just got to go into that just a little bit more, right? So in verses 9 and 10, we see, I think, a beautiful summary of the gospel. Look at verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10 say, who saved us? He just mentioned God. So God is the one who saved us and called us to a holy calling. How did he do that? Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's almost like a parenthesis, but a super important one. He's just highlighting When I say you're willing to suffer, I'm calling you to suffer for the sake of the gospel. I'm calling you not to be ashamed of the gospel. This is the gospel I'm talking about, Timothy. This God who had a plan from all of eternity by his purpose and grace. Not because you and me, Timothy, were the right men for the job. But because of his own purpose and grace, before the ages began in Christ Jesus, he saved us and called us to a holy calling. All of this coming to fruition now as Jesus has appeared and abolished death and brought life and light to immortality through the gospel. This is the good news, Timothy, that you will suffer for if you proclaim it. But don't be ashamed. And then he goes on and uses himself as an example. Verse 11. Speaking of the gospel, he says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. So he just, like he's, let's just keep going. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul using himself as an example, said, I've been called a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, and that's why I'm suffering. If Paul was not a preacher of the gospel, he would not be locked up facing his execution right now. He's suffering. Suffering would naturally bring shame, but not for Paul. Why? Because, he says, I know whom I have believed. Okay? Paul's not doing okay because he watched some corny Disney movie that told him to believe in himself. Or he listened to his coach, like, believe in yourself. That's not why, Paul, that's not going to get Paul through. Believing in himself, that's not it. How, how's he going to get through this? 
I am convinced that he is able, right? I'm convinced that he is able. I know whom I have believed, and I haven't believed me. I've believed God, and I am convinced. I'm not, like, pretty sure about this. I think he can do it. Like, no, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. He's looking ahead to this future reward, and he knows that God's got him until that day to guard what has been entrusted to me. That is the gospel, his salvation, his holy calling, all been entrusted to Paul, and his confidence is not in himself, but in God who is able to guard him until that day. So I love that as Paul makes these commands to Timothy, don't be ashamed, share in suffering. He's not doing it like a coach who's standing on the sideline with his whistle, telling everybody to run faster and harder while they're all about dying, and then he just blows the whistle and says, go again, go again, go again. He's a coach who's running right alongside him, working harder even than he is, and saying, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It's worth it, Timothy. Grateful for the message that we see in verses 8 through 12. So what is summary of verses 8 through 12? What's the message? Be unashamed and suffer. Why? For the gospel. How? By the power of God. Okay, that's what we see in verses 8 through 12. Let's go on to the second point, verses 13 to 18. I mentioned there's two commands in the beginning, followed by the why and how, and now we've got two more commands in verses 13 to 14. See if you can hear them as I read verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You hear the two commands there. One, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Two, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. But the cool thing is, these commands are surrounded by some beautiful gospel truths. Did you catch that? Following Paul's example of sound words, or the gospel... It's rooted in what? The faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then this other command, he's telling Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. But how's Timothy going to pull that off? Well, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Okay, so even the commands that Paul gives to Timothy are couched in glorious gospel truths, basically saying, Timothy, I'm calling you to do a really hard thing, and you cannot do it on your own. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit. Interesting, isn't it, that back in verse 12, Paul's confidence was that God is the one doing the guarding, and now Paul tells Timothy to guard the good deposit, but he recognizes you do this by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And then, in verses 15 and following, we're trying to figure out, Timothy's trying to figure out, what does it look like to guard the gospel? Okay, Paul just shared a command, guard the gospel, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Uh, how am I supposed to do that? Well, there's a couple of examples. Paul's already given himself as a good example. Now he's got a couple of bad examples and one more good example to finish out the passage. Look at the bad example first in verse 15. Verse 15 says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are 
Amphigilus and Hermogenes. Okay? So, so he's talking about a mass exodus of people who are a part of the church in Asia. That's the region that Timothy's pastoring in right now. Modern-day Turkey would have been called Asia at that time. Okay? Paul planted lots of churches there, invested much of his life in traveling through that region, planting churches, raising up leaders, and now at the end of Paul's life, he's looking back and acknowledging that most of them have turned away. And he uses a couple of men as an example. Maybe they were the leaders of those who turned away. I don't know why. We don't know a lot of details about this. And the reason we don't know a lot of details about this is because Paul's writing to Timothy, and Timothy already knows. <laughs> right? Did you notice that? It says, it says in verse 15, you are aware. Well, Timothy is, but we're not. <laughs> right? Uh, but God didn't see fit to make sure that, that we know all of the details. We just know enough that a lot of people... In an area where a lot of people had first heard the gospel and trusted in Jesus are now turning away from Paul. Now, verse 16 and following, we see a good example. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he, listen to this contrast, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So there it is, unashamed, the third time we've seen it. A good example for Timothy is a guy who, when everybody else disassociated with Paul because it was shameful to be associated with this prisoner who was preaching this crazy message about Jesus, there was one guy, Onesiphorus, who decided, I'm sticking with Paul. Not even just like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not deny or, or reject him, but even listen to what he did in verse 16, verse 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul is just setting before Timothy. There's some examples, some bad examples and some good examples. Onesiphorus, he's one of those good examples. He went out of his way, not just to not deny association with me, but to search me out earnestly and find me. What an encouragement that must have been to Paul. So here's where Timothy's at. He's got a hard choice. Naturally, think about this. If, Timothy, what, if, if what Timothy wants most in life is the respect of people around him and comfort, what's he going to do? Stop preaching the gospel, right? Stop preaching the gospel, Timothy. Disassociate yourself with Jesus and Paul and the gospel message, and you're going to probably be just fine. You're going to have respect as a gifted young leader in a major city. Timothy, if you would just turn away or tone it down at least, you'd be just fine. And that's not the message that he gets from Paul. Paul doesn't say, make a few tweaks. Water it down just a little bit and you'll probably be fine, Timothy. No, he says to Timothy, by the power of God, be unashamed as you suffer for and guard the gospel. So that's the message of 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 18. The message from Paul to Timothy. And there's, I think, a message for us in this too. A couple of applications for us. One, 
I love that in this passage, even though the aim is to share these commands with Timothy, Paul is so astounded by the good news of the gospel, so motivated by the gospel, so grounded in the gospel, that he has to just expound on it a bit. That's what we saw in verses 9 and 10. Sometimes application isn't like, hey, go out and do this. It's just know and believe this. Do you know and believe the gospel? need a reminder of how it works, of what the message is. Verses 9 and 10 give a great description. It's God saving people on his own initiative, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We always sing a song like, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. that just walks us through the incarnation, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus. And Christ alone did the same thing. We want to be people who have a firm standing in the gospel, that we know the gospel, and and, and not just know the gospel so we can like recite it to somebody, but we know the gospel and we're astounded by the gospel to say, I can't believe that, that this holy God would save a guy like me. And to be so astounded by that that we would say, if that means I need to suffer in order to proclaim it, then bring it on. Let me come back to the marching band story. The reason I wanted to quit marching band is because I felt really out of place. Here's a few more details. My friends and I had signed up, my other 8th grade friends going into ninth grade, we had signed up together to do this marching band thing. But then my family went on a family vacation for the first week of practice. When I got back, All of the upperclassmen already knew what we were doing because we weren't super creative. We did the same two songs every single year. So they had been doing these things for years. It was new to those of us who were going to be freshmen. But a bunch of my friends, in the week while I was gone, they quit. They're like, this is lame. And so they quit. And so I come back. My friends aren't there. Everybody knows what they're doing. Even the other freshmen still had learned a lot in that first week. And so I felt deserted And I knew, like, this is not going to look good. This is going to look shameful because it's noticeable when you're in a marching band and everybody else is putting their right foot down at the same time and I'm just walking. Everybody else can make sounds come out of their instruments and my trumpet doesn't sound as good as it does when I'm sitting down in a chair in a band room. I've never done any of this before. And so, and we're doing it all in these ugly purple wool marching band uniforms, right? And so I'm just imagining... That, okay, I'm going to go through all of these hot parades, I'm going to get sweaty, I'm going to look foolish, and by the way, we entered into competitions in a lot of these, every single time we get the participation plaque, which is basically saying, thanks for showing up, but you're not very good, right? So, So it's like, is this worth it? This isn't worth it. I'm going to look foolish, and I'm going to suffer in this wool suit, and I'm not even going to get anything for it. Paul's commands to Timothy to be unashamed and to share in suffering are commands that Timothy was only going to follow if he was convinced, if he was astounded and grounded in the gospel, if he could look at Jesus and say, that's worth it because of what he's done for me and because of the reward waiting for me, I know this is worth it. I think it'll be that way for us too, church. Think about it. Gone are the days 
when it gives you a social advantage to be a Christian. I think those days are gone. I think those days used to exist, but I think those days are gone, and I'm pretty sure they're not coming back. So we could spend our lives whining that we don't get respect like we used to as Christians, or we could say, you know, I'm really not all that concerned about what people think about me. I'm just amazed that God would save somebody like me. Not because of my works, but because of his own purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before the ages began. That I know that they can kill me, but I will live forever because Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so, regardless of what the times ahead might look like, I hope that we can hear Paul's message to Timothy for us and not be ashamed of the gospel and be willing to share in suffering because we believe that Jesus is worth it. That we are convinced that he is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. And what's been entrusted to us and what we will receive on that day is way better than a sweaty wool suit and a participation plaque. We who are in Christ will be with him forever. So be astounded and grounded in the gospel. And then the second and final application is shorter and it's just this. Again, Timothy would have probably been much more honored and respected in his city, and he could have avoided suffering if he would just tone the gospel down a little bit. I think we have that option too. In the days ahead, I think it would be an option for us to tone things down just a little bit and and be more respected and avoid suffering. As biblical Christianity becomes less and less popular, and as people with conservative theology are seen as extremists, We who hold on to the Bible, who say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life are going to be looked down on more and we would be tempted, and whole denominations are tempted in this way, to start to kind of cave a little bit and allow the culture to determine rather than the scriptures to determine what the truth is. That would be a real option for the church and it's an option that many churches are taking. And as long as you let me be your pastor, I'm not going to (laughs) really... want that <laughs> okay right yeah like we don't want that right we're, we're gonna like I don't like it's okay like if our church has been growing what if there's only 40 people left that's all right like we're not going to be people who turn away or tone it down because it gets us more respect in the culture that doesn't mean we're going to be disrespectful in this culture I want to be fully engaged in this world that we live in and love deeply the people all around us I don't want to be a jerk. Some people think like not toning it down means you got to be a jerk. We don't want to be jerks, right? I want to love people well, but I want us to be prepared for whatever might come. Paul's call to Timothy to guard the gospel by the Holy Spirit who dwells in him is a call that the church needs to hear and heed today. We need to guard the gospel, guard the good deposit entrusted to us. Now, How do we do that? What does that look like? We're going to see that more and more as we go through the rest of this book. And so I'm not going to get into specifics now because I want to save that for future weeks. But I want to end with this quote. This quote that is sobering and still hopeful from John Stott. Hear this. We may see the evangelical faith, the faith of the gospel, everywhere spoken against, and the apostolic message of the New Testament ridiculed. We may have to watch an increasing apostasy in the church 
as our generation abandons the faith of its fathers, do not be afraid. God will never allow the light of the gospel to be finally extinguished. True, he has committed it to us, frail and fallible creatures. He has placed his treasure in brittle earthenware vessels. And we must play our part in guarding and defending the truth. Nevertheless, in entrusting the deposit to our hands, he has not taken his hands off of it. Amen. Let's pray. Now, Father, our prayer is simple. We pray, according to your word, by your power, for the sake of your gospel and for your glory, that you would help us to be a people so astounded by the good news of Jesus. The good news that Jesus came to save sinners like us, that we would be people faithfully, passionately, boldly proclaiming and guarding this gospel and doing it unashamedly, enduring suffering if necessary, the whole time being confident because you have not taken your hand off of it or off of us, confident that you are with us as our defender. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.